This episode of the My Latin Life podcast is brought to you by Language Blend, the new best way to learn Spanish. Language Blend focuses on what you actually need to live and get by abroad with daily one-on-one lessons, a dedicated texting partner. It's like living in a Spanish-speaking country without ever leaving home. Go to languageblend.com for more information. Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guests today are Amelia and JP. They run a popular YouTube channel for expats looking to to retire and live in Latin America. They have 89,000 subscribers on YouTube. You can find them at Amelia and JP. Guys, how's it going? Great. Really good. Thanks for having us. Yes, absolutely. Where are you uh, calling in from today? Beautiful Ecuador, although it's kind of cloudy and rainy today. <laughs> but it's still <laughs> it's still beautiful. It's still beautiful. That's awesome. Which which part? We're in the northern mountain area. Okay, and that would be uh, north of Quito. Yes. Nice. I saw a, re- a video uh, recently from you guys. You introduced me to a new town that I had never heard of previously. Uh, I won't be able to pronounce it, but it starts with the letter C. Oh, Kotakachi. Kotakachi. That is a great little community. We absolutely love going there. It's not too far from Quito, from the capital. It's about an hour and a half to two hours. And boy, it's just like going into a completely different world. It's surrounded by mountains and volcanoes and it's muy tranquilo yeah it's beautiful <laughs> that's but awesome i thought you were going to maybe say sangolki because we recently did a video about sangolki which is a really neat vibrant community it's part of the quito metro but we had never heard of it and we lived here for well geez we've lived in ecuador over five years so that was a really fun area to check out as well very authentic ecuador that's awesome. I don't think we've had an episode yet where we did a deep dive on Ecuador. So I'm definitely uh, looking to looking forward to getting into that a little bit in this episode. But before we get too deep in the weeds, we'd love to just get a little bit of an overview of who you guys are. As I mentioned, you guys are probably best known as YouTubers. You have over 300 videos on your YouTube channel. And in my view, it's really uh, position towards more of like the retiree market or just like a, a bit of an older audience. Uh, but your videos are absolutely packed with, uh, with tips, with very useful information and just like excellent, very well done guides. So I'm, I've been very impressed by uh, your videos, but I would love to just hear it in your own words a little bit more about who you guys are, how you got started, et cetera. Okay, great. Yeah, we have been in Ecuador since 2017. And we are here because I had some serious health issues back in the US. We lived in Denver, and I had two major spinal surgeries in the span of about four months. And then after that, we could no longer afford health insurance or health care. So we sold everything we owned and moved to Ecuador, which has really high quality, affordable health care. And we don't have to be stressed out about whether we can afford it or not. It's wonderful actually to not have that stress in our life anymore. 
And after we'd been living in Ecuador for about a year, we decided to start sharing our lives on YouTube because we kind of felt like it wasn't very well represented on YouTube. And we wanted people to see how beautiful and amazing it is here. Mm -hmm. So that's why we started our channel in 2018. Yeah, we wanted to bust some stereotypes because a lot of people thought, well, first of all, a lot of people didn't know where Ecuador was located. And I think some people still do not. But we got a lot of questions like, does Ecuador have running water? Do they have indoor plumbing? Do they have dirt floors or do you have regular floors? I mean, just we wanted to bust those myths. Because we're proud of this little country that we call home. (laughs) Yeah. And how did you get into the the filmmaking and and the editing and stuff like that. Did you guys have a bit of a background in that or just pick it up as you went along? Uh, Not really. My background is in software development. Although Amelia and I have both been professional presenters in our past lives. Amelia is a sales rep and used to do presentations multiple times a day, presenting products. And I built software systems and I trained teams how to use the systems that I built or manage the team that built. So we both had a lot of experience in public speaking. So it's, it seemed like a natural fit for us. But the videoing part was very new and we were really, really bad in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, we were. I look back at some of those videos and I just cringe. <laughs> but hey, you, you learn. Uh, yeah, I mean, that speaks to the, the power of just getting started and iterating over time. Yeah, yep. every master was once a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard it like that, but that's good. But your your videos these days are like extremely good. Like you have, um, I guess to anyone who hasn't seen it, go go check them out. It, it's not just Ecuador. They, they have good information about Mexico and, and other places. But it's like you got the classic like YouTube background with like the glowing purple light or whatever and like like, yeah. cin- like cinematic experience and then you have good cuts where you have you have a lot of I, I noticed that you guys use a lot of b-roll and so we it do. seems like it seems like you probably have like a gopro or something and when you're walking around town you're just kind of like GoProing b-roll yeah we um, just use an iphone actually iphone b-roll we used and to have a camera but then it was it's the iPhone is just so much far superior. It's lighter, fits in my pocket, battery lasts most of a day. It's just, it just has multiple cameras on board. It's just much better than my old big DSLR. Yeah, it makes sense. So you do the B-roll, you kind of do like a voiceover, and then you'll lay over like some maps and stuff like that. And you'll be like, oh, we're here. This is how you get here. And it's like, and then, then a map appears. And it's basically like everything you need in, in a video. And and the information that you give is very actionable, uh, which which I really liked. Like it's not, it's not just like talking about your feelings or whatever. You're really like okay, the visa costs 20 bucks and the entrance fee and the this and the that, and you got to take this bus. And it's like very, very actionable advice, which I, which I very much appreciate. Great. Well, thank you. That's our goal. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I wanted to, to come back to something, JP, which was uh, about the healthcare, um, because this is a big uh, misconception and, and sort of fear area for a lot of people where they think, you know, if I leave my home country, uh, I'll, I'll never be able to get healthcare or whatever. And um, it sounds like you've actually had maybe an, an upgrade in your experience. But actually, uh, it, it, the the reason that you you had to make a change was 
does it sounds to me like you were almost kind of locked out of the American healthcare system where if you have a, like a pre-existing condition, it's very hard to like get ongoing care, something like that. Could you tell us a little bit more about the situation? Yeah, with the new the laws, the Affordable Care Act, they can't actually deny you for a pre-existing condition anymore, but they can charge you more than you can afford to pay. And that's what happened to us. Mm. But, uh, the monthly insurance rate, even for the marketplace plan, was $1,200 per month. That was just the insurance. It was a high deductible plan with you know, I would have, if anything happened, we would have been bankrupt with insurance. So we just couldn't afford that anymore. And we didn't have much choice. We had to, to go somewhere where we could afford healthcare because I didn't want to go bankrupt in our forties. Right. And the problem is, is that because JP had those surgeries, he wasn't able to work for a year. So it's not like we had, you know, we had to take a major pay cut. I took a pay cut to stay home. I changed jobs to help with his recovery and with him not working, we just couldn't afford to t- just pay that much money to have health insurance. It's just nuts. Yeah. And I couldn't drive. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of options and I didn't work. I was self-employed. So I didn't work for a company that had nice benefits. I didn't have a big corporate job or a government job that provided great benefits. I was self-employed and had been for years. And I even looked at going back after the surgeries and thought about briefly going back to the conventional life and getting a job just to have health insurance. But the thought of that was just, it just, to me, wasn't worth living <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I would, I found, I determined it was much better to leave the United States than to go back to that lifestyle that I just didn't like. I really prefer working for myself and being able to do what I want, when I want, and where I want. Well, and once you leave the U.S. and you experience world outside, you realize it's not as undeveloped and scary as we're led to believe, or at least JP and I were led to believe. The healthcare in other countries is excellent. It is superior. And the quality of care we get here in Ecuador has just been amazing at a fraction of the price. Mm-hmm. We could afford to pay things just in cash out of pocket, we have health, private health insurance here. And how much are we paying now? It's a two twelve, I think, two hundred twelve dollars a month now, and that covers both of us. And there's a hundred dollar deductible, annual deductible. Hmm. So it's much more. Could we, could we sort of double down on the American system a little bit? For I'd say probably probably fifty percent of our audience is American, uh, but even our American audience. I'd say the average age might be like late 20s, early 30s of the audience, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they, I think Americans kind of know that the healthcare system can be expensive and can bankrupt you, but probably a lot of our American audience hasn't been through it yet because we've been pretty much good to go. Uh, but we know that like 10 years down the road, uh, it's it, it's going to start getting gnarly, and it's good to to maybe start preparing for that. So, like, what what how could you sort of explain the situation to younger Americans and and also to non Americans about how things start working when you actually need the healthcare? Are you talking about how things work in the U.S.? Yeah, how things work in the U.S. So maybe you're paying insurance, but the deductible's high, but even. With the deductible, you're still paying like 20% out of pocket, and even that 20% is really expensive. I don't know. Could you just kind of walk us through the whole thing? 
Yeah, the well, first off, the cost of healthcare in the United States is anywhere from three to 10 times higher than it is in other countries for the same types of services and medications. So you can save a tremendous amount of money just by moving abroad if you are, especially if you're on like diabetic medication, like insulin, it's far cheaper in other countries. So the issue with the United States is that the prices are not regulated. The hospitals are allowed to charge whatever they want for the services. And there's so many cost overruns and so much corruption that the costs are just exorbitant, ridiculously expensive. In fact, the United States has the most expensive healthcare system on the planet mm-hmm. with just mediocre average outcomes. It's not, you would think that if you paid the most, you would get the best, but it's just not true. It's really middle of the road. According to CEO uh, CEO World Magazine, the U.S. ranks 30th for healthcare, uh, while Ecuador ranks 25th, and Mexico also ranks higher than the United States. So it's ridiculous to think that we pay so much for so little. Well, and what's frustrating too is that the way the insurance system works, you have to you have to get everything authorized and approved before you can start getting any care, and there it's a long process, and it's it feels like it's. A kind of a game because you have to go through all of these different steps to get your, you have to go first to your first primary care physician, and then you have to go and see a specialist, and then they have to approve any tests that you need to get done. And it just, it takes a long time. And I'm just thinking, you know, the things that my parents have been through recently with some of their health stuff, it takes four to six months to get in to see some of these doctors. And we hear this from multiple people that are older, but they need to see these specialists or even see a regular physician. The wait time is long. And if you're dealing with something in in that time, it can only get, well, I shouldn't say can only get worse. It may end up getting worse. And at times the insurance companies will deny claims on top of that. And that happened to us too. They were denying claims and trying Mm -hmm. to, come after us for an extra $100,000. And then they you get these really weird bills where they say, well, this person was out of network, so you can't use this. Yeah, it's insane. It is insane. And it's like you- the doctor was in network, but the attending doctor was out of network. And you're like, what? Like, why? Like, it's, yeah. And as know, a and patient, never, you have no control. I know. And I never even saw some of the people that they said were out of network. They were in the surgery, the operating room I was under. I never even saw them. And yet we were getting bills for tens of thousands of dollars for these people. I have no idea if they were actually in the room or did anything, but they wanted to be paid. That's definitely my biggest fear is the like out of network people that like you really have no control over because they're they're not just like, hey, like the the, hospital is never going to say like, hey, do you want to get service now by the out of network or do you want to wait two hours for the in network? They don't even, they don't even give you an opportunity. They're just like, they just send whoever and then they just hit you with the bill. Right, exactly. And you really have to do your due diligence and fight with them to get your claims approved. And it's a very stressful, frustrating experience, especially if you're already in recovery. If you're recovering right. from something major or surgery, you really need an advocate to work for you because it's not easy to try to do that on your own. It is really, really frustrating. And we know countless people who have gone through these kind of situations and at all different ages, because you never know when a health 
issue is going to pop up. I mean, for JP, you know, he, he was in his forties. It's not like we had, you know, he was, you know, 70. Yeah, no, it just, <laughs> it was a genetic condition that just deteriorated to a point where I started losing the ability to walk. And it was a complete surprise. And it's not like I did anything or was in an accident or made some stupid life decision. I just have a genetic condition and it's, it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah shit happens. Exactly. And it's scary. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It makes me think on, I don't talk about healthcare too, too much, uh, on Twitter or on the podcast. We did have, um, insured nomads on as guests, the CEO, Andrew Jernigan. So if people want to learn a little bit more about health insurance, they could look up the episode with, uh, insured nomads. It was only, it was like episode 50 something, I think. Um, so I know it's an issue. Uh, but it's one I've definitely been ignoring a little bit, just being like a bit of a younger guy. But I know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unfortunately. It hits all of us at some yes. point. And especially if, uh, for retired people, it's most people think Medicare will cover long-term care, but it doesn't. And they're kind of shocked when they realize it will only cover up to 90 days in like a rehab facility. It won't cover like elder care, ongoing elder care, most of that has mm. to come out of pocket. So the policy in the United States is that the elders who need, who can't afford care are forced to basically go into, you know, destitute, to forcing them to go destitute. They have to do what's called spend down until they qualify for poverty level and they can go on Medicaid which will then Medicaid will pay for their long-term care, but not at, obviously not at the best facilities. It's, you know, it's the lowest cost stuff. Mm. And it's a lot of people don't really understand that as they get older, that there is no real plan in place for long-term care as for elderly people. And, and remind me, what is long-term care? That is for, you know, if you're eight, let's say 80 years old and you can't walk anymore and you need assisted living, you know, permanent, 24 hour care to help you go to the bathroom and cook and stuff that is not covered by Medicare. And a lot of people think it is, but it's not. So in other countries, it's very affordable. You can have in-home care for a thousand or $2,000 a month. You can be in a really nice facility for under a thousand dollars a month. And you're not going to have to go bankrupt to afford it. You can actually keep your money and still afford the cost of the long-term care. But in the U S there, it could be 50 or a hundred thousand dollars a month for that type of care. Yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, to be honest. And you, you know, what's crazy about it is like people, th people don't realize that your expenses actually go up as you get older because not only are you still paying just normal food and rent, but you have to pay all these healthcare costs. You have to pay the, the long-term care costs, et cetera, random pill subscriptions that are super expensive. And so your earning power is actually declining or maybe in, in you almost stop earning, but your bills are actually growing exponentially. Yeah, they can. In the U.S., definitely. In other countries, it's not really like that because your healthcare costs are low. So it's, you know, then if once you stop working, you have fewer other expenses, like you might not need your car or new clothes or as much makeup or that kind of stuff. But 
when your cost of healthcare remains low, it's actually cheaper to get older in other countries. <laughs> but in the United States, you're right, it, it gets more expensive, especially if you're on a lot of medication that can, yeah. the medication alone can bankrupt people. Yeah, the right, medical right, right. costs are outrageous. They're just unbelievable. We're really fortunate that we don't have to take medication, but a lot of people do. Yeah. And the quality of care here, just to give you an example, is that I have a, a spot on my prostate that's being monitored by an oncologist right now. And I was due for a test. So I sent the oncologist, the actual doctor, a WhatsApp message and said, hey, I need orders for this test. I'm due for it. So he sent me a WhatsApp image of the orders that then I just printed out. And I went to the, the lab within 12 hours. I had the orders and the lab done. And then by what, three, four hours later, mm -hmm. we had the results. So in less than 24 hours, probably 18 hours, I got the orders from my oncologist and the lab results from the test. And I never had to see the oncologist. And I, I sent him a message and say, hey, why don't you send me a, a bill so I can pay you for your time? He said, oh, don't worry about it. You can, we'll just cover it the next time you come in to see me. Yeah, it's great. And the test was $35. In the U.S., it would have been like $300 for the test I got. Yeah. Yeah, so many such examples. Like uh, in the States, you, you try to just go get your teeth cleaned and they say, no, no you need x-rays. And it's mm -hmm. like, dude, I just need you to clean my teeth. I don't need friggin' x-rays. And they're like, no, it was policy. We could get sued. Like yeah. you cannot get your teeth cleaned unless you get x-rays. It's like, dude, I don't want this like radiation in my mouth, but that's how it is. And then you get your teeth cleaned and it might be close to a thousand bucks. And even if you have healthcare that covers 80% out of pocket, you're paying like 200 bucks. If you just got your teeth cleaned in Ecuador or Mexico, it would have been 50 bucks cash out of pocket, no insurance nonsense. And you don't need to deal with all this x-ray BS and it's just, and you, you can organize the, the meeting just on WhatsApp you say, Hey, you guys, you, you just hit them up on WhatsApp, basically like a text, like, Hey, you guys got a, a time tomorrow. Yeah. 3 PM come in sweet. If it was the States, like they wouldn't be responding on WhatsApp. You'd have to call, leave a message. It'd be this annoying back and forth. Like it's so much smoother in, in so many ways in Latin America. And I, I hope people realize this. Yeah. So that's funny that you bring that up because last Wednesday night, I chipped a molar flossing of all things. And so on Thursday, we sent our dentist a WhatsApp message and say, hey, we need to get in uh, for a regular cleaning. We didn't even say I chipped a molar. Mm -mm. So we said we need to get our regular cleaning. And, the, and they got us in at 8.15 on Friday morning. And I said, yeah, I think I cracked a molar, chipped a molar. And they're like, okay, we'll take care of that first. And they took me back and did the, the filling on my molar and then cleaned my teeth. And the filling was $60 and the teeth cleaning was 55. 50 or, yeah. Something like that. And you're right. There's no bureaucracy. That's what's so nice about it. You actually can get things done in a timely manner for an affordable price. Imagine that. <laughs> It's so refreshing. Yeah, we. I just. It was amazing that we could get in basically the next morning. But that's just normal. And 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 it's all over WhatsApp. Yeah, it's so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Um, I, I have so, so many more examples. Coming back to the the long term care, 
Um, and by the way, anyone listening, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get off the, the healthcare topic soon and, and into some other stuff. But just to hammer this down even more, uh, one of my close buddies uh, from back home who has no relationship with Latin America, doesn't speak Spanish or anything, but his dad is um, his dad like needs like full time care, basically mm-hmm. like 24 hour care, even in the night needs care. And uh, back home he was trying to get like a live-in nurse basically. And it was going to cost him like 9,000 bucks a month for a live-in nurse, something like that. Wow. You know what I mean? And he was like trying to interview different nurses. He was like, huh, maybe I get one nurse for 12 hours, a different nurse for another 12 hours. They each want like four or 5,000 bucks. Like it's kind of insane. Like maybe if I get them to like live in, in the basement, maybe it'll be cheaper, but I still got to pay them free rent and give him like three, four grand a month. It was just like, he was having a lot of trouble with it. Sure. And so he was, he came to me and he said, man, like, I'm really thinking about just like moving my dad to Mexico or Jamaica. And he's like, if I, if I move him to Jamaica, at least they speak English there. If I might, if I move him to Mexico, I mean, I guess it's cheaper and, and kind of closer, better flights. Like, what do you think? And we were talking through his options, but it, it's, it's crazy. The, the lengths that we have to go just to basically like care for ourselves in a, a, a reasonably cost-effective way. Cause like eight, nine, $10,000 a month just for like in-home care is insane. That's more than most people make. Exactly. It is insane. And we shouldn't have to make these kind of decisions. You shouldn't have to leave your country, the U S to get the care that you need, but Sadly, that is the reality we live in, which is one of the things we're really passionate about and why we like to go out there and show people different places where you can live, where you could afford it and have a really high quality of life because there is so much more out there. Just like what you're doing too, living Mm -hmm. in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And have you guys taken advantage of some of these, um, like, do you guys have like a full-time maid or full-time chef, anything like that? We don't. We uh, actually like I. All right, I'm a weirdo. I like doing that stuff myself. <laughs> but we know a lot of people that do. Mm-hmm. We used to have a housekeeper come. What every week or every other week? Every week. Every week. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, we got tired of waiting because uh, as you know the the um, time is not is it time is very fluid in Latin America. And so sometimes our cleaning people would be an hour late or hour and a half late or just not show up and not call. And we kind of got tired of that. So Amelia actually prefers to do it herself. Yes, I do. And I also enjoy cooking. I find it very relaxing. Well, we both cook. Yes. So I guess it's kind of a hobby. I'm a weirdo too. I like doing laundry. So, but a lot of people have help that they're very happy with. And it's so affordable. You can get a housekeeper here. Uh, for anywhere from like two fifty to five dollars an hour. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I think uh, that like I, I'm still at the stage where I'm like moving around a lot, like month here, month there. But once I pick like a, a solid base, one of the first things I'm going to do is have like a full time chef and, and all that. Nice. Stuff. 
Good for you. It's fun to be able to move around and do exactly what you're doing, though, because that's what it's all about. That's what we always tell people. Come and try different places. You don't need to just stick. You can give up that mindset that you have to um, buy a house and, you know, have two cars and all of that stuff. You don't have to live your life like that. We've lived in multiple places in Ecuador and we are expanding now to go out to other countries. And our plan is to spend more time in so many different places and experience so much more of the world before we, I don't know. Get tired of get, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we love Ecuador. We don't have any plans on leaving Ecuador, but there's so many other places to explore in Mexico. Geez. I mean, we could spend two years easily going around Mexico because yeah. it's so huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned offline, uh, you guys like the phrasing, the unconventional life. What, what does that mean to you? Where does that kind of phrasing come from? And um, how do you, how do you live in unconventional life? Well, for us, it means living a life that has time and location freedom. It's any, it's the opposite of commuting to a cube and being forced to work specific hours and begging for vacation, having a mortgage, Yeah, the mortgage, the cars, the basically where you have to work in order to live so that you can work so that you can live. We do not like the hamster wheel because that a lot of people call it a rat race, but we think it's more like a hamster wheel because you run around in circles and you don't actually get anywhere. A rat race implies that there is a winner and we just didn't feel like winning was really an option with our old conventional life. And so by moving abroad, we felt like we were being very unconventional by kind of in the middle of our life, picking up, selling everything we own, moving to another country, working online, being middle-aged YouTubers. <laughs> middle-aged YouTubers. <laughs> yeah. So it's really a life of time and location freedom where you can work. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, and wherever you want. Mm-hmm. And when you started the YouTube channel, did you did you know from the very beginning that you wanted to turn it into a business? Or I guess you guys, just like everyone, kind of maybe got more professional about it over time? We wanted to, we hoped that we could earn some money at it at some point. It took a lot longer than we thought it would, but that was mostly because we did some really dumb things in the beginning and we were not very good in the beginning. So it took a lot longer to actually start monetizing the videos for anything, any kind of meaningful amount of money. But I I don't know, I guess that our vision was in the beginning to turn it into a business at some point, but really we wanted to just kind of show people what Ecuador was like. And cause we fell in love with it. We still love it. And we really enjoy show, showing it. Now we are showing other countries as well, because we realize that there it's not unique. There's so many other places that are beautiful in their own ways. They have different things going for them and different people like different things. So, we're excited to, to show other parts of the world too, but Ecuador is still, still the place we, we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, JP had the vision. I just was kind of like, okay, let's try it and see what happens. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. It's definitely been a life changer. Do you try to spend like less than 30 days in the States and do the, the foreigner and income exclusion? We have not done the foreign income 
exclusion? Well, actually, all of our income still originates in the United States. All of you know, Patreon, YouTube, our bank, our business, everything is still based in the U.S. So we still pay our U.S. taxes like we live there. So we don't actually earn money in Ecuador. Mm -hmm. But we also don't spend a lot of time in the U.S. So without trying, we are spending less than 30 yeah. days. There. We've only spent, I think, 30 days in the U.S. in the last four years. Yeah, we were locked down here for the pandemic we were living in a little tiny beach town of what, 2,500 people. So we just didn't go anywhere, but that was fine. <laughs> it was a, a, a unique experience. Well, the pandemic was not, but well, it, was the, it was unique. Yeah. There was a couple of times when it was a little bit crazy because they weren't getting food deliveries. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they wouldn't let us go outside on the beach. Yeah, they locked down the beach. We couldn't go outside. Yeah, that really sucked. Bastards. I yeah. know. But by the way, even if the income is like U.S. source, paid to a U.S. bank account, if you're not physically in the States, you you, you might be able to still uh, claim the exclusion. I could, you know, maybe hook you up offline with uh, uh, an expat-focused accountant. Yeah, that'd um, be great. But um, not to make the whole episode like a tax uh, lesson or something, but um, where were we talking about the unconventional life? When you go back to the States now and, and you check in with people, they must be a little bit bewildered and, and fascinated by this life they're living that you're living uh, down in Latin America. Um, you would think they would be <laughs> our families. They don't even ask or talk about it really. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but maybe that's because we put it out there on YouTube. Yeah. Some people are, they're surprised. I think people are surprised to hear that we are doing YouTube videos and actually living in South America because it still seems so exotic to people. But I think that, you know, the world has just changed so much and people are so much more used to now people working remotely, digital nomads and, things like YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and all that stuff that it's not as unexpected as it was when we were telling people we were doing this five years ago. Would you agree with that, JP? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I get that too. Like I'll, I'll come home for Christmas or something like that. And I'll be like, guys, like I've been living the most insane life. And <laughs> you like kind of don't really get any questions. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it is interesting. I guess it's not as unconventional as it used to be, but we still feel like it is. Or maybe they just don't, it seems unattainable for them and they just don't want to hear about it. I think a lot of people, I saw an, an article this morning or yesterday about this TikToker who talks about her digital nomad lifestyle and she gets berated in the comments from people saying that it's unrealistic and she's lucky and privileged and everything to be able to live a digital nomad lifestyle. But I, I think that says a lot about how people have been raised to believe that that's unattainable and out of reach, that they can't do that. So many people believe that it's just not possible. And yet there's so many of us doing it now. Right. That's a good point, JP. You, you know what your channel attests to, though, is that it's not just luck or random. It really requires a significant level of planning and logistics. 
Definitely. That's definitely true, especially with the online income. It's not something that you can just say, okay, I'm going to make money online tomorrow. I mean, you might be able to, but it's not going to be enough to, to support you. But if you put in the time and the effort and you learn and improve, really within a year, you could probably be earning enough online to live in a low cost of living country like Ecuador or Mexico or Colombia. Oh, yeah. I mean, within a, within a year of hard work and as the side hustle, and then eventually the side hustle becomes the main hustle. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people just aren't willing to put in those extra hours. Yeah, the, and you have to be consistent. Yeah, the five to nine is more important than the nine to five. And once you realize that, it doesn't take that long of, of, of really applying consistent energy and also improving, being able to self-reflect helps a lot. Some people are not good at that. But if you can actually criticize yourself and and listen to other people's comments and criticism and approve and adapt over time, then this lifestyle is possible for really anyone who, who can log into the internet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't need any special, uh, well, you need some unique at- attributes, but there's so many people making a living doing all sorts of things. You don't even have to be... YouTubers, you can do, you know, write blogs. You could, we know people who do like medical transcripts and teach English. There's tons and tons of things that you can do, but you just have to apply yourself and be consistent. Yeah. And those types of jobs would not support a life in the United States. People look at their life in the U.S. and they think, well, my cost of living here is like six to $8,000 a month. There's no way I could make that writing, for instance online. Well, maybe not, especially not anytime soon, but you don't need that much. You could live in Ecuador for a thousand dollars a month, especially if you're a young 20 something without a lot of responsibilities. So it's a lot easier to make a thousand dollars a month online than it is to make $8,000 a month online. But if you stick with it. Oh yeah. A lot of people do. Yeah. And make even more than that. It's absolutely attainable. It is interesting that there is that stigma that it's too good to be true because that yeah. is not that's not the case. No, it's definitely not too good to be true because it takes a lot of hard work <laughs> and consistent effort over time. It's not a get rich quick scheme for most people. Some people strike it rich quickly. They come up with something really really unique or good and they're really good at it and they're successful very quickly, but that is kind of the exception, not the norm. Most people just stick with it longer than everybody else. Yep. But I think that's the truth for a lot of different types of career paths, regardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then even once you have the income thing figured out, there's a lot of logistics that you have to learn sort of for the first time because you don't have that local knowledge. It's exactly. getting an apartment. It's the healthcare. It's... Uh, buses are weird and different. Things aren't online. Um, <laughs> yes. um, visas, uh, you know, COVID regulations. There's a million things, right? And so you, you do have to be a little bit of a um, a go getter, I guess, or like just like a very organized person. Yeah, you definitely do need to take the time to do your research. You're right. You need to be organized. And then you may find some surprises because there's always a bit of a learning curve. But you're right. There are a lot of logistics that go into moving to a different country, Uh, especially to your point. Stuff is just not online like we're used to in the U.S. And um, there's a culture here in Ecuador of not volunteering information, which 
is a bit of a frustration for us still at times. And it can be hard to know how to navigate that in the beginning. Yeah, that's well, that's why we created our Ecuador relocation e-course. It yes. goes through all those because we ex- you're exactly right. It was a real challenge for us. And there wasn't a lot of information available. And a lot of the stuff we found online was inaccurate or outdated. So we created an e-course that walks people through every step of this process if they want to move to Ecuador to make it easier. It's, it seems to really help people. It does. Because, man, I wish we would have had that when we moved here because it was a pain. Yeah, there were some times when my type A personality was really struggling with letting go and just trusting in the process. Everyone's like, don't worry, don't worry, it'll happen. (laughs) I worried. Yeah, Amelia worried a lot. (laughs) I did. But now I'm an old pro. I know what to expect. Now I don't stress out about any of that stuff anymore. But it is tough in the beginning. That's cool. Do you think you've uh, almost hit like a new curve of of self-development where maybe self-development wise you were like a little bit flat for a while just like living in denver everything's pretty normal and now you're just like a whole different person within five years oh absolutely totally yeah yeah we are completely different people now than we were before well especially before we were both overweight we've lost weight we got in got into shape we're healthier we eat healthier we walk a lot more it's I don't know. Plus, we both work at home now, so we're with each other instead of coworkers and commuting. And well, and we have friendships with people from all over the world, so our interactions with other people are completely different than they were when in the states. It was all about work. All of my friends were, you know, they're work friends. You just don't have the same type of relationships, but here the work is the people, nobody talks about that. Yeah, nobody asks, what do you do here in the U S the first question everybody asks is what do you do? And here it's, do you have kids? Do you have family? What do you do for fun? Have you been to this restaurant? I mean, it's all personal stuff here. When we meet people, it's, they, nobody ever asks. In fact, we, we had some friends, we were friends for a while before we ever knew what they did. Yeah. And they didn't know what we, they didn't know we were YouTubers. Yeah. That was crazy. It's funny, but they're Ecuadorian. So our audience is typically not Ecuadorian because we're an English channel and we focus on moving abroad. So we do have some Ecuadorian viewers, but mostly it's people from the U.S. So they didn't even know we were YouTubers. We didn't know what they did, but we really hit it off and we we're good friends now. Well, and our quality of life is just so much better. We're much more relaxed. We are not so focused on working. And I mean, we are obviously we want to continue to grow and but we get to think about things like, okay, so let's plan this trip and let's plan this next trip. And we're thinking about all these different places we're going to go and see and experience as opposed to um, when can I take ask for my next week off from work so I could take a vacation. (laughs) Yeah, we've taken what six trips in the last eight months, I think. I think pasta, I haven't counted. Loja, Cuenca, we went back to the US. We've been to Mexico twice, Colombia. Yep. And now we've got Panama and Costa Rica on deck. So yep, coming up. So, I mean, there's just no way we could have done that if we lived, if we still had our conventional lives back in the US. We just, we weren't making ends meet. We didn't have, not only did we not have the money, to, to pay for trips like this, but we didn't have, Amelia didn't have the time off. I was right. self-employed, but I, at the time was building websites. So I had to actually go out and sell to, you know, businesses. So I couldn't have just 
gone and and traveled around the world. No, and the one of the my favorite things is that it seems like on almost every trip we end up delaying something. So we have flexibility with our travel schedule. So if we decide we want to stay in a place longer, we just stay. Not too long because we have our sweet Daisy. So we, <laughs> it's not like we're gone months at a time because we would never leave her that long. We yeah. only like to leave her for a couple weeks at but, the most. But several times when we've been traveling, we're like, we're having too good of a time to go home. So we just extend our trip. We change our flights and our hotel and we just stay an extra week or, or however long we want. <clears throat> that was never an option no. before because, you know, you have vacation days and you have to get them approved and you have finances and a yard to mow and <laughs> everything <laughs> else. And now it's, we don't have that to worry about. So we have this amazing flexibility. Yeah. I really, really appreciate the flexibility. Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Quick break from the podcast to tell you about language blend, the best new way to learn Spanish. Language Blend was co-founded by Jake Nomada, friend of the podcast, decade of experience in Latin America, and Jake and his team, they put everything into this program that they wish they had in terms of how to level up quickly with your Spanish language skills. Because the faster that you can get conversationally fluent in Spanish, the better the experience that you're going to have in Latin America. So go to languageblend.com for more information. Yeah, we were talking offline about quality of life improvements, and there's no doubt that having increased uh, location freedom and time freedom will improve your quality of life. But let's get into a bigger discussion about quality of life improvements. In what ways do you guys think, Amelia and JP, that your lives have improved by leaving the United States and moving to Latin America? I think one of the biggest things is that we actually get to spend our time together. I think that's a huge quality of life improvement for us because rather than spend our tired hours together at night and our errand hours on the weekend, we actually get to cook together and go for walks, you know, and sometimes we'll, we'll go for a walk at like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. And I'll say, you realize it's 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning. We would have been in an office or working before and now we're out walked going for a nice long walk mm -hmm. when most people are are at a job somewhere well and i really appreciate all of the new experiences that we've had that and also just learning to live in another culture has is just been life-changing and it once you do that it just makes the world seem so much more attainable and normal and friendly and friend yeah i, I the People we have met are just incredible. Every place we go, we meet new people. We experience new culture. We work on our Spanish, which is um, sometimes it's really good. And sometimes it's a little painful, but it's all part of this process that really is. Um, well, it just makes me feel better, much more stimulated mentally. Mm. It's, just, all, it's also from a quality of life perspective. It's, nice to not worry so much about the finances all of the time because the cost of living is so much lower that we're before when we were in the US we were constantly worried about if we were if we had enough money for things and if an emergency happened like a healthcare need or a car breaks down 
we were always worried, like, are we going to have enough money to pay for it? And how much do we have in our on our emergency buffer fund? And are we saving enough for retirement? There was the cost of living was so high, we never felt like we were getting ahead. But when we moved abroad and cut our cost of living by two thirds, it's basically a third here compared to the U.S., then we felt like those financial burdens were really lifted. Well, and, yeah, we paid off all our debt. Yeah, we paid off 60000 in debt. And within three years of living in Ecuador, we think that if we'd stayed in the U.S., we just would have been in more debt rather than have it gone. Yeah. So, I mean, just the fact that we don't have that level of stress anymore, the stress is minimal, Mi minimal. The, the, it's tranquilo here. The lifestyle, the mindset is much more relaxed and laid back. And I got to say, I really like that. It's definitely nice to like not have to worry about budgeting. Yes, it absolutely is. What else besides uh, besides the money thing? Is it has the climate been better? The food? Um, I guess you you guys talked a little bit about relationships being less transactional and more more warm. I guess uh, sp speak to us a little bit more about. The, the the benefits. Yeah, we do not miss winter. No. <laughs> we have not seen snow in six years. Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to not shovel driveways anymore. And uh, we love the, the constant spring-like weather that we get here in the mountains of Ecuador. So that is a, a major improvement. <laughs> it sure is. And we lived on the coast for a couple years, which was great too, because it was, um, it's warm, but it's not like Texas warm. It's not hundred over hundred degrees with a hundred percent humidity. So we think Ecuador has amazing weather. Sometimes it's cloudy and rainy, but I mean, that's just. That's why it's of, so green. Yeah. And that's also <laughs> part of living in the mountains, which we absolutely love. So if you're an outdoor person, this is a great place to live. There's a lot of really good hiking and you could go surfing and there's so much to do. And you asked about the food. The food here is unbelievable it is so flavorful we eat so many fresh fruits and vegetables that we just go and buy at the mercado we can get organic produce and it is just i, I wish i could i know it's hard to describe yeah. it's just it's like i always say it's like the food was when we were kids in the 70s and 80s when it actually had color and flavor yep. and it's not like that anymore in the u.s and it, but it still is in Ecuador. The stuff is picked when it's ripe. It's not picked uber green, sprayed with chemicals, shipped halfway around the world. It's picked pretty much ripe. And we buy it probably within a day or two of it being picked. And the flavor is amazing. The bananas, when I peel a banana here, it smells like a banana cream pie. It's just sometimes I just take a huge whiff of the banana <laughs> when I peel it just because it's hard to believe it smells that strong like it doesn't even smell like a real banana it's so strong yeah it, the produce is just and we next get level. and we get all kinds of ex, um, tropical produce too like pitahayas and papayas and mangoes and we just we get these uh, fruits that we couldn't afford that you could rarely find and when you did they're ridiculously expensive in the u.s and 
here they're super cheap. It's like buying an orange. Yeah. And the avocados are abundant. They're not the Haas ones that you have in Mexico. They're a shepherd. Well, I don't know. That's what we just, they just, I just happened to see an avocado picture today online and they called it a shepherd avocado. I don't know what they're called here in Ecuador. They're bigger, right? Yeah. And they are so beautiful and delicious. Yeah. They're not stringy. They take a while to ripen. So we buy them really hard and then they take like three to five days on the counter, but then they're just like, they're not stringy. It's just like butter. In fact, we use them like butter. Yeah. We just cut them in half and we just you take a butter knife and, and butter our toast with avocado. Yep. And Ecuador has incredible chocolate and coffee. I mean, they just got it going on. The food's amazing and it's really affordable, especially compared to the U.S. Like we'll get mm-hmm. three avocados for some, sometimes a dollar or sometimes two dollars for three beautiful avocados. For sure. How, how do you buy your produce there? Like I know some people in Ecuador, they have it like delivered to them and they just get like a huge sack or maybe you, you go to like a little fruteria uh, how, how do you guys do it there? We've had it delivered before when we lived in Manta, but now we go to, there's an organic market that's near where we live on the weekends and we go buy most of our produce there. But there's also little, we call them mercaditos here. Some of, some of them are called fruterias, but um, they're like little mom and pop shops that sell fresh produce. So we go there they also have regular grocery stores, like what we would call like a Safeway or a King Supers back home. They're called Super Maxi here. And we go there for packaged items. Yeah. And when we lived in Cuenca, Cuenca has a lot of Mercado, big Mercados. And like, they, well, they have those in Mexico and throughout Latin America. And we would go there a lot too. It's fun to go to the Mercados. Mercados yeah. The big ones are neat. We There's enjoy fun. shopping for produce. Yeah. <laughs> It's something that's kind of lost on the United States, like the old school Mercado Municipal concept where you got the butcher here, you got the, you know, the, like everything, like all in the same market, you got the fish guy there, you got the produce. Yep. And then you got your herbs. Yeah. Yeah. And the flowers. Yeah. Flowers. Yeah. 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 Like you try to buy flowers in the States, you got to go to a florist and it's like $25 for like a couple roses. Yeah, it's so but you go, You go to the Mercado and there's just like a florist shop and, you know, it's like two bucks for like a big ass bouquet. Exactly. I know. It's such a great experience, which is just normal life for most other people. You're right. It is unfortunate, but that has just gone away in the States, most areas of the States, I guess they still have the bodegas in New New York and the, yeah, the farmer's markets. Although even a a farmer's market in the, in New York, for example, or or in the U S is not the same thing because people who go to a farmer's market in the U S this is my theory. They've already done their shopping. They're just going to the farmer's market as like an activity. It's yeah. not. It's not actually to shop. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> They're just going to look and like maybe buy a pie. Yeah, or like some specialty cheese or something. <laughs> right. It's like not even cheaper or like you know what I mean. Like it's more expensive. A lot of them are more expensive. Yeah, like it's uh, it's not it, like I, I've I've heard this argument before. Oh no, there's still farmers markets, but it's not really. It's not really the same thing. Like, I, it's hard to explain. 
Yeah, it's not like a big ginormous mercado where you go in and it's just like row after row of beautiful fruits and vegetables and everything else that you could want. Yeah, agreed. Like nobody goes to a farmer's market and is like, okay, we need the celery, we need the onions, we need the mangoes. Like they've already, like they're just right. going for like a couple like random artisanal things with artisanal prices. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, another funny one is like coffee, like a coffee roaster in the States, like a, a coffee roaster in Denver. It's like a dude with like a handlebar mustache and an apron. <laughs> but a, a, And it's like, I don't know, like 30 bucks a kilo and probably double that. <laughs> yeah. You, you go to a, a, a coffee roaster in the Mercado and it's like a little old lady. She's got like this old school scale. And they put it through a machine. They're like, like, ¿cuánto quieres? And it's like, you know, it's like three bucks for a half a kilo. And they roast it right in front of you. And it's like this non-douchey experience. just like totally nor- normal how it's supposed to be. Exactly. I know. We love that. We love the Mercados. And, and just shopping at the little mom and pop stores here. Yeah. yeah, where it's not, you're right, it's not anybody trying to be super hip or on trend they're just that's just their life um, and it's, a lot of them it's a traditional multi-generational yep. thing that, so they've been they'll have grand the grandparents the children and the grandchildren all working there that's pretty cool have you visited some uh some coffee farms in ecuador not anything big we've been to a couple little ones um but not any of the big productions. I think that'd be cool. That'd be something cool to get into. Coffee farming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a, some have a friend friends. that does a, a, a artisanal coffee. Yes. Here in Ecuador. In Ecuador. Yeah. In the Loja area. Loja, it's more Loja. of a hobby though. I yeah. think it's not really as much of a business as it is a hobby. Yeah, actually, we know several people that do that. There's all sorts of stuff you can get into here if you want to. Let's talk a bit about uh, cost of living in Ecuador. And would love for you guys to just sort of hammer home how much it costs to live in Ecuador. You mentioned earlier a young guy could probably get by on a thousand bucks a month. Uh, Would love to just hear a bit more about what are the most expensive regions of Ecuador? How much should people budget for, et cetera? Well, one of the most expensive areas is going to be Manta. If you want to live in a high-rise condo on the beach, that has really gone up in price. But the rest of the country is pretty affordable, especially we always tell people starting Cuenca. um, Gosh, you could rent. It really varies. You could rent a room for $100 up to a fancy house for $1,000 a month, fully furnished. It's I mean, everything's available here. We lived, uh, for our first three years, we rented a full house. It was, what, a three-bedroom house? Three-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath. Which was way too big for what we wanted, but we had our dogs, and we wanted to be within walking distance of El Centro. But we still lived, the two of us, uh, with, what, $1,500 a month? Yeah, the first year we spent $1,500 a month, and 800 of that was on rent. Yeah. <clears throat> And we could have found something farther out or just yeah. the problem we had is that Daisy's a bigger dog. So they don't, well, some people don't want to rent to bigger dogs, but had 
you could easily find a nice place for 500 bucks a month in a safe area close to everything. So you don't need a car. That's one of the great things about Ecuador and a lot of other areas. The public transportation here is excellent. So you do not need a car. And we always discourage people from thinking that they need to come here and buy a car because they're actually quite expensive. Yeah. The used cars are, use and new cars are very expensive compared to the U.S. That's one of the things that's a lot more expensive here. But the public transportation like taxis, Ubers, buses, are extremely affordable. Most of our taxi rides around town are two to three dollars, where in the states the same distance would be like five to ten dollars, probably. Yeah, or I more. don't even know. Maybe fifteen dollars in Denver for what we pay yeah. for two dollars here. We spend twenty bucks a month on our cell phone. We spend forty-five dollars a month on high-speed internet. And that's 150 megabytes up and down. Our utility bills run around $20 a month for electricity and water. Now in Monta, it was higher because we would run the air conditioning. So they were more closer to like 60, I guess, $60 a month. But you can live here easily. 1200 is probably comfortable for most people. You have to have, if you're coming here, on a retiree visa, you need to have $1,200 a month, right? So they just, is it 13? I can't remember. 1350 is the income requirement for the pension or visa now, but you, you can live here on less than that. Oh, totally. We know people who've lived here on, on a couple who've lived in Cuenca on less than 800 a month. Yeah. So it really depends on how much you want to spend, but it, and, we and always, your lifestyle. Like, your, what do you want to do if you eat out, if you drink, if, you know, if you don't drink or eat out a lot, or if you just eat out at the almuerzos, because in Ecuador, you can get almuerzos, which is their lunch special, which usually like three to five courses. And it's they're usually between one dollar, uh, what, one fifty and three dollars. Yeah. So if you mm. live is that, on- That's like the Plato del Dia, like- the- Exactly. exactly. Yeah. In Mexico, it's the Plato del Dia. And in Ecuador, it's called el, el almuerzo, the lunch. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's We always tell people it's at least a third- of the cost. And it, it really depends on how you want to live. So if you want to live in a beautiful resort style, high rise condo on the beach, you're going to pay more. If you want to live even a few blocks off the beach or in the mountains, it's a fraction of the cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm currently uh, doing the former. I'm doing the, the high rise condo on the beach and, uh, <laughs> and paying for it. We, um, did we lived in a high rise condo in Manta. Uh, we lived on the 15th floor and how much was our rent? 1300 a month. And that in like in Miami, it would have been probably 10,000 a month for that place. But exactly. Yeah. It was very fancy for us. <laughs> yeah, That's cool. And probably worth noting, uh, Ecuador uses the U S dollar. Yes. That is really nice to not have to do the math in, in your head. And it actually buys quite a bit. It's pretty strong here. And it was nice when we traveled to Mexico and Colombia because the dollar is pretty strong. Yeah, it makes life a lot easier for sure. Another nice thing is in parts of Ecuador, you can drink the water. In parts of Quito and Cuenca, you can, well, all throughout Cuenca, you can drink the water, which is something that we definitely miss when we're traveling to other parts of the um, other countries, I should say. But it's not throughout. We had to get bottled water when we lived in Olón. In Manta, we had a, a reverse osmosis filter. So that was really nice. We liked that. I like my H2O, but I really don't like having to get water deliveries. That's 
kind of frustrating. Have you noticed any differences about Ecuador versus Mexico in terms of uh, getting access to money, bank transfers, um, maybe even like does does Uber work in Ecuador? It works in parts of Ecuador, like in Quito and Guayaquil and a few other cities. But we also have um, an app called Cabify, which works mm. here and in Cuenca. There's an app called Azu Taxi. They work like Uber. It's the same concept. It's just not Uber. As far as things like online banking and stuff like that, Mexico is definitely more advanced than Ecuador. Ecuador is seriously lacking in technology of that sort. Anything online, it's the years, 20 years behind everybody else. It's it, like 2000 here. Yeah, it really does feel like that sometimes. It's really frustrating. I wanted to pay our Claro bill when we were in Mexico and I can't pay it out of the country, which yeah. is just kind of ridiculous. And transferring money here, you can do um, like a regular wire transfer, but it's more expensive. And um, yeah, we wanted to we wanted to access our bank account online and we actually had to go into the branch to to set up the online access because they didn't volunteer that information. When we opened our account, they didn't say, oh, if you want online access, you need to do that here. So we actually had to go back to the bank to open it. Well, and then we needed to reset our password and you can't do that online either. So we actually had to go to a branch to reset our password so we can log in online. That's the kind of stuff. It's just really, they're really way behind in any sort of online bill pay or yeah. tech or use of just the basic usability that we're used to in the U.S. And what we've noticed in Mexico on our time in our time there is that Mexico is a lot more like the U.S. and Ecuador is a lot like the U.S. was in the year 2000. <laughs> yes, that can be a bit frustrating. P pros and cons. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's not a deal breaker by any means. Yeah, it just takes a extra planning and questions. You got to make sure and ask because they won't volunteer. No. And does Ecuador take like U.S. credit cards? No problem. Oh, yeah. They do. Sometimes people don't know how to ring them up. So it depends. So like with my Claro account, I cannot actually set up bill pay with Clara, which is our cell phone carrier with my U.S. credit card. So I have to pay it with my uh, Ecuador debit card. So they are not savvy enough to do that. But a lot of that has improved. The pandemic actually helped with that because people had to be able to pay stuff, but they couldn't go anywhere. So it's getting better, but it is not nearly as efficient as it is in other areas. And Colombia, too, is a lot better. Yeah, it's still a heavy cash society. Any, any mom and pop shops, the Mercados, taxi drivers, they do not take credit cards. So it's they it's still heavy heavy on the cash in yes. Ecuador. Hmm. Do you find that Colombia is significantly cheaper than Ecuador in your your time being there? Parts of it, yes. Where part we were in Medellin recently, and the prices where we were seemed pretty similar. Um, but we were in uh, El Poblado, which is a more touristy neighborhood, so we were paying a little bit more for that. But in general, yeah, Colombia is less expensive. It's hmm, very beautiful. It sounds like like I kind of knew Colombia was cheaper, but you guys are making it seem like Ecuador is actually more comparable to Colombia than I had thought. It's not, it definitely sounds like Ecuador is a lot cheaper than Panama. 
We haven't been to Panama yet. However, it is our understanding that Panama is definitely more expensive. So yep. we'll let you know. But are very similar. When, when are you guys going there? We're thinking. Yeah, we don't have plans yet, but probably within the next two months. Yeah, we're thinking end of April or sometime in May, perhaps. Pretty soon. I keep forgetting we're already in the middle of March, so I guess I need to start thinking about that. I know, and this this episode will probably come out like second half of April, so we're dating ourselves a bit. But I uh, I will probably be there. I'll follow up with you guys uh, when we get off the recording. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, okay, one topic we definitely wanted to talk about on the podcast was don't wait, do it now, make the move. And so I wanted to ask you guys, Amelia and JP, why now? Why should people get started now? Well, because you never know what life is going to throw at you. And the one thing that we learned after dealing with JP's health scare was that we didn't want to wait any longer. There's there's never a perfect time. Never. And we, I mean, having JP go through those surgeries was a serious wake up call because we could have just sucked it up and said, well, no, we're just going to deal with this until we're ready to retire. But you know what? That may not come. You just don't know what's going to happen. And the worst thing that could happen for you is that you go to a country or you try something and you don't like it. Okay, well, then you can do something else. You're not locked in. But you don't know that until you take the first step. So that's why we always encourage people just to give it a shot. Yeah, everybody thinks that I'll just wait till once I retire, I can do this stuff. But that is not guaranteed. Retirement is not guaranteed. And my, um, I had a shattered disc in my neck that almost killed me and at 43. And after we recovered from that and the other surgery on my lower back, we just decided that there's no guarantee that we're going to make it to retirement. And we wanted, we didn't want to wait around and, and kind of give away the best years of our life with the anticipation that we're going to still want to do it or feel like doing it when we're in our 60s. Right, exactly. That's the other thing too, is that when you're young, the younger you are, the healthier you are. So take advantage of that. Life is short and there's a whole world to explore. I would agree with that. You guys definitely have an older audience than, than mine a little bit. Um, that's actually probably a good thing because your, your, your audience probably has more disposable income, but you guys probably receive a bit of a different range of questions. I bet they're a lot very similar around safety, cost of living, yeah. healthcare. How do people even actually first like get in contact with you? Like, are they messaging through a website contact form? And I imagine just by the size of your YouTube channel, you get quite a bit of inbound. We do. We get a lot of engagement. We get a lot of comments. Um, not a ton of email questions, but we do. And we're always happy to try to help answer those questions. So yeah, there's a, people can contact us through our, our webpage. And Patreon. Patreon. Yep. We have a Patreon community, which has, we have a Discord, so our private chat community, which is actually really cool because people mm -hmm. are forming friendships uh, in there and sharing their different experiences and then people also contact us through Facebook and Instagram. So mm -hmm. Yeah, we actually get quite a bit through Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like um, 
your audience must be big on Facebook. Are you guys big on Facebook? I, I, I didn't even really check. No, not really. We don't, we don't do that much on there, but that's, we do get a lot of messages on Facebook. Yes. I will go out there and say, I am not a big fan of Facebook. Yeah, me either, actually. We don't even use it for our personal no. stuff. Neither of us have. We have our pro personal profiles, but we don't actually use them. Yeah, I don't think I posted on mine in like two years. But we have YouTube and yeah. other, we have other avenues. Mm -hmm. how, Sorry, how did the YouTube grow then? Because uh, I almost would have figured that you guys were like posting into Facebook groups or something. No, we didn't really, we did not do that. Um I guess it was just organic. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, just organic. We just made better videos. That's what the key on YouTube is you just got to post videos and you got to make them better and you got to listen to your audience and make videos that they want to watch because the algorithm is a, is a real game of cat and mouse. And we occasionally figure out how to play it and we get a few good videos that really help us grow and then it slows down again and we're like what okay what are we doing wrong now and we have to adapt and it's a constant battle to get the youtube algorithm to bless us with views but occasionally we hit a topic that really resonates with our core mm -hmm. audience and then youtube will the algorithm will branch it out to the bigger audience and if that audience likes it, then it can go viral. And that's, we've had several videos kind of do that and get, gain us, you know, 10, 20,000 subscribers. Yeah. And we do post on Facebook. We just don't do, we didn't do other Facebook groups um, because they really were not, they didn't want people spamming. So mm -hmm. it wasn't, that just wasn't a good avenue for us. Yeah. We didn't, we haven't really done much at all off other than our website. And, but that didn't really generate anything. All of the traffic on our website is coming from our YouTube channel. It's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much just make better videos. Yep. Better. And it's all basically YouTube um, just like promoting you guys in the algorithm. Yeah. It's almost all from the browse and suggested videos. That's where almost like 95% of our views come from. That's definitely how I, I found you guys too was just procrastinating on YouTube, chilling, and you guys came up on the sidebar and it was, uh, I don't, I don't know which video obviously it was, you guys have over 300, but it was just something like that. It was, it was, you know, like <laughs> cost of living in Ecuador. And I saw you guys and you, the, the video was well done and presented well. And I, I, I can definitely see that. Well, thank you. Thanks. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. It's been <laughs> rough. <laughs> It's a journey and we're constantly learning and evolving, but yeah, we're actually talking a lot less about Ecuador than we used to because the audience is just, it wasn't, we weren't growing anymore. So we had to start talking about other countries just to reach a broader audience because the algorithm kind of had us in the Ecuador bucket. And so our core audience would watch, but no, nobody knew would watch because they just weren't getting recommended. So we started talking about bigger issues like, you know, the USA healthcare scam or cost of living, <laughs> going broke to live in the U.S., that kind of stuff. And those videos get a lot of new viewers. Yeah. The algorithm pushes those videos out like uh, to a broader audience, especially in the U.S., and then they watch our other videos. Yeah. And that's the nice thing, too. We always had plans when we moved to Ecuador to go to visit other countries and the pandemic set us behind. But now we're doing that as well. So. It's all good. 
No, I, I definitely believe it. Yeah, I think you need a mix. And I think you need some on the ground Ecuador videos, but then just like normal ex normal expat issue videos right. that face mm -hmm. all expats kind of mm -hmm. anywhere in Latin America or anywhere around the world. Definitely. What do you think are the 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 themes that you guys hear most from your audience in terms of things that are keeping people from making the move or just like things that people really need to know? Well, I, the big issue for a lot of people is that they don't want to leave their families. We hear that a lot, mm -hmm. especially older people who are retirees and they have grandkids. That seems to come up a lot or one, if they're married, even, regardless of their ages, one person doesn't want to move there for whatever reason, they don't want to give up whatever they got holding them back in the United States. So that comes up a lot. Um, I think fear of the unknown fear. is yeah. the big one that drives, that really hinders a lot of people. It probably slowed us down. Yeah. I think we may have moved sooner had we not been kind of afraid of the unknown. And also the, we have a video where we said we believe the propaganda before we moved. And it's really true that there's a lot of misinformation out there. I'm not sure why, but it really paints the rest of the world as a scary place of backward, you know, dangerous. dangerous, undeveloped. And I think that held us back. And I think it holds a lot of people back, especially with the healthcare too. We're taught that the U.S. has the best healthcare right. in the world. And if you go anywhere else, it's going to be this dark, dank, dirty floor hospital with flies <laughs> yes. and people laying in the hall. And it's just not like that at all. But that's kind of the picture we have from Hollywood and TV shows and stand-up comics. Interestingly, though, now we used to get people worried about crime and safety, but that has really shifted because now people are not worried about Ecuador crime compared to the U.S. And Escaping so we, their own crime. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when we talk about something here, because it comes up every once in a while, people in the U.S. are like, oh, well, it's worth worse where I live. And they just don't even, that's not an issue that they were, whereas I would have to say, what, three, four years ago, five years ago, we got asked a lot more about the how safety. safe it is. Yeah, so I, think that's I think they feel like now it's safer. It's got to be safer. I think that's the attitude now is yeah. that it has to be safer than where I live now. Yeah. It's funny. It is. It's kind of surprising, but, and sad, I guess. Yeah. And do you tell people to do like an exploratory trip first, come down for a week or two, and just so you can sort of visually see it and, and kind of, you know, I don't know, connect things and then. And then they can plan for like the more serious move. Yes, we do. Although JP wanted to move here sight unseen, but I refused. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think people should come and experience this for themselves because there is going to be some culture shock. And we could tell you that, but you need to experience that for yourselves. Yeah, I was so done with the U.S. I just wanted to get out. I couldn't get out fast enough. <laughs> and. And so I was fine. I'm like, if we don't like it, we can just move somewhere else. But Amelia definitely wanted to come. And we spent 10 days in Ecuador and I was in love immediately. It took me like, two days. It took Amelia two days to really get the hang of it. But I was like, oh my God, I love this <laughs> immediately. Like just walking down the street the first day, it was beautiful. It was a blue sky day and people were friendly and it was 
we went to yeah. the Mercado. What really sold me is we went to the Mercado. Um, we were staying a place that had a kitchen and we went to the Mercado and the stuff was beautiful. The food was amazing. It was so cheap. And I'm like, I love this place. I'm ready to move. Yeah, it was. But, I know. But we do recommend amazing. most people take an exploratory trip because they're, most people are not going to be like me. And I'm, I've always been a risk taker and an adventure seeker in that respect. And so I would have been fine regardless of where we went. Amelia was a little bit more conservative in that respect than me. And most people are more like Amelia than me. So we always say, yeah, take your trip. It's a low pressure. If you don't like it, you're going back home and you can go somewhere else next time. So it, it doesn't put so much pressure on you to like it. Well, and also the elevation here is pretty high compared to a lot of places in the States. And so if you do not, you don't know until you're here, if you're going to be able to deal with the elevation and you know that could really put a damper on your plans. And then you're going to have to move to the coast and not everybody wants to live in the coast. So it's really important to come and check everything out for yourself. Yeah. Quito's at 9,400 feet and Cuenca's at 8,400 feet. So it's a high elevation area. Then the, the coast is not as well developed either. The healthcare isn't as good. There's not as many amenities. And so it's a different kind of lifestyle on the coast here. It's not like in Mexico so much where the coastal living in Mexico is like living anywhere else in Mexico in one of the popular cities in Ecuador that's a little less developed. It's yeah, there's no resorts like what we're used to seeing in Mexico. That has not come to Ecuador yet. We get people asking <laughs> us that every once in a while, like, where do we go for a resort vacation? Like uh in Mexico. Colombia. <laughs> yeah, Colombia, <laughs> Mexico. We don't have a dreams or secrets or any or, any place yeah. like that. Yeah. That's Just funny. That. You guys gone into the Amazon yet? You know, we have not. We have not. And we really have no excuse. Yeah, it's been on our list. Unfortunately, it wouldn't make for great video for us because we know our audience. That's not what they're looking at. So it's when we do those type of adventure videos, they don't get a lot of views. So it's hard for us to justify the time and expense to do videos that we know won't get a lot of views. But we still... Both of us really want to go there in Galapagos. We haven't been to Galapagos Ooh, yet. Yeah, it's a must. It's a must. Yeah, it really is. It's on the list. However, we keep pushing it back because we want to go to other countries too. It's really tough. We have all these tough decisions like where should we travel next? Yeah. And how long <laughs> do we have to wait between trips? <laughs> what yeah, do you guys Galapagos think is like the optimal Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, what, do you, what do you guys think is like the optimal balance? Like I, I, I know in the, the past couple of years, you guys have been spending like less than 30 days a year in the States. Um, do you think that there is a balance where you're almost like a snowbird and maybe you spend like the majority of the year in Ecuador, but then like a couple months in the States? Or how do you, how do you guys think about that? It really depends on the person. I know some people do just that. They spend six months a year in another country and then six months a year in their own country. Um, geez, we were just talking to a couple from Canada that are snowbirds. So they were they were traveling for three months out of the year and spending the rest of the time. I guess, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on what your priorities are. I think you, JP and I are a bit out of the norm. Most people spend more time in the U.S. than we do. 
So you guys are committed. I ask. <laughs> yeah, we are committed. This is home. Well, and also there's the healthcare thing. I'm always concerned that if, if something happens when we're in the U.S., then I'm going to have to fly back to Ecuador to get healthcare. Well, and- <laughs> how funny is that? <laughs> Although we do have travel insurance. Yeah, like, hopefully it's tra- yeah. yeah, we like a stubbed toe in the yeah, United I know, States. Yeah, it's though. crazy. Anywhere else in the world and it would work great, but there it wouldn't. That's mad funny. You guys must be uh on on track to become uh, Ecuadorian citizens. We are. We are eligible to apply for citizenship here soon. Although it still is takes a couple years to actually become citizens. But it's still nothing compared to other countries where yeah. you, there's a longer waiting period. But we have permanent residency, so we actually don't have to do the citizenship route if we don't want to. We're, we're good now, yeah. permanent. Yeah, so we can be gone for basically almost two years. You have to be, the way the permanent residency works is you have to come back and be in Ecuador one day out of every, every two, two years. years. Although I can't imagine us being gone that long. no. Yeah, definitely makes sense. I I can't wait for it. I mean, it'll definitely make uh definitely be a good YouTube video like the day our swearing in ceremony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know it is really exciting. You guys know the national anthem yet by heart? No. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I haven't even thought about it. I guess I better get practicing. Yeah, you better sing that. Yeah. <laughs> you can sing that in a YouTube video. Oh gosh, we'll lose all of our subscribers. <laughs> No, they they often test that one. They often test that one. Yeah, that's a good one. We we do have a, a study guide, but I haven't worked on it quite yet. I'm not actually too worried about it. We need to learn more of the history and all that, but I'm not worried about the Spanish portion. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm I'm so happy for you guys, and it's so uh, refreshing to to hear your guys' story and to basically just hear the testimonial of uh, how life can be. From some from someone that makes that switch, that gets tired of the states, they move somewhere else that's cool. They live an unconventional life, and they're happier for it. They're eating organic food. They've lowered their cost of living, um, and just living a remarkable life and, and documenting it along the way. So I'm um, I I have so much respect for what you guys do. Oh well, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, we're I'm really enjoying following your posts on Twitter. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, this is uh, we're we're coming to the end of the episode. I'd lo- I'd love to, for you to stroke my ego on, on Twitter for a second. Uh, what what do you like about the Twitter? What should we do more of, etc.? I like the how you post about the different areas, like you put different stats and about different areas around Latin America. I think it's really cool. It kind of exposes me to things that I may or areas I may not have thought of before. Yeah, so we're learning through you too. So. Yeah, it's cool to see the different the different places that people enjoy living. Yeah, it's always because you know everybody talks about the same the same like top five places. It's nice to hear different perspectives. Thank you. Yeah, we definitely try to make it a little educational. Well, well done. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> and you guys are on Twitter too. Uh, do you know the handle by heart? Do you want to read it out? Oh, the our Twitter handle? Yeah. It's just Amelia and JP. We're very clever. <laughs> Everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. It's all Amelia and JP. Even our website, AmeliaandJP.com. 
There you go. Amelia and JP.com YouTube everywhere. I love you guys. You guys are like my favorite, like, uh, you're like, like my aunt and uncle or something. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for uh, say, not saying, uh, Grandma and grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Um, well, we're we're wrapping up the episode, so I would uh, love to give you guys this moment to direct the audience to uh, anything that you want to um, uh, talk about, or or uh, just remind them again about the website. Anywhere you want to direct the audience. Yeah, I'd say uh, check us out on YouTube at Amelia NJP, and subscribe and like. So that YouTube, the algorithm knows that you want to see our stuff because otherwise they won't show it to you. Yes, we would really appreciate that. We appreciate your support. Yeah. Thanks for having us on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll uh, link up everything in the show show notes in terms of uh, all the different platforms that you guys have. Uh, Again, the guests today have, have been... Amelia and JP. This has been another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Thanks everyone for watching. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao.